Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. This is Charge Up Dunedin. Hello, good evening and welcome to episode 2 of Charge Up Dunedin, the second in our series of podcasts being broadcast here on Otago Access Radio and streamed online on our website oar.org.nz. This podcast is brought to you by the Dunedin EV Owners Group and the Otago Electric Vehicles Society. Hello again everyone, I'm Sam Hales, hope you enjoyed the first episode of Charge Up Dunedin. So far we've had some great feedback regarding the episode which has been fantastic to hear, so thank you for tuning in. In case you missed the first episode, I am a Masters in Science Communication student here at Otago University and I have a big passion for everything motoring related. I hope to try and educate people on a few of the misconceptions they might have regarding electric vehicles. I'm taking the angle of a petrol head who is a recent convert to the world of EVs. Rather than close my ears and mind to those trying to promote EVs, I want to help people understand things they might already think they know, but perhaps need a little more information or a bit of explanation. Before we begin, I must apologise. I mentioned in the last episode that I would be interviewing Dutch EV enthusiast Weber Wacker, who managed to drive an electric car from the Netherlands to Dunedin with no money and no guaranteed charging points. Quite an amazing feat, especially given the amount of water he had to cross and the fact that his VW Golf station wagon wasn't exactly amphibious. However, he was able to complete the trip towards the end of July. Sadly, he very promptly had to leave Dunedin to ship his car home, and I was unable to catch him, so please accept my apologies for the lack of an interview. However, I still have plenty of interesting content coming up. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the most pressing EV issue indeed, emissions. And not just tailpipe emissions. We'll have a look at a concept called cradle-to-the-grave emissions, which takes into account the effects that a car has from when it rises out of the ground as a piece of iron or aluminium oxide to its eventual demise as it slowly folds inwards at the metal claws of the crusher, on its way to becoming an unceremonious washing machine in a rather less dignified life. Put simply, cradle-to-the-grave encompasses a car's entire life cycle emissions. This is a very important piece of information to think about when looking into emissions. The general public perception at the moment varies. However, a lot of people seem to believe that electric cars are horrible to the environment when you build them or that they can't be recycled and so on. This would obviously negate any benefit of having a zero emission vehicle in the first place. These same people also like to claim that the power generated for EVs comes from fossil fuels, so why not cut out the middleman and just put the fossil fuels in a petrol or diesel car? Quite frankly, I can't believe anyone in New Zealand would have this opinion, given that most people, well, my school year at least, were taught about or at least have some knowledge of New Zealand's powerful, innovative, renewable power generation system, which can provide over 80% of our electricity from renewable sources. Given that coal-fired plants like Huntley are only used rarely to fill in the gaps during peak loading, the vast majority of power flowing through the lines at any one time is renewable. So why the focus on emissions? Without getting off topic onto a debate about climate change, let's focus on the fact that 97% of climate scientists actually do know what they're talking about and that there is indeed a very real threat to the health of the planet unless we drastically cut back on CO2 emissions. Additionally, the NIWA Vehicle Health Effects Report estimates that 399 people over the age of 30 
die each year due to automotive-related emissions. For comparison, this is actually more than the 2018 road toll, which stands at 379. When I found out about this figure, I was pretty shocked, and it really puts into perspective the human death toll related to vehicle emissions, and why we drastically need to reduce them. By converting the light vehicle fleet, i.e. what most of us drive on a daily basis, we can drastically reduce our CO2 emissions. A paper released by the Ministry of Transport on the 9th of July this year, discussing the proposed clean car standard and the all-too-divisive clean car discount, outlined a lot of interesting data related to New Zealand's emissions from light vehicle transport. Currently, cars and other light vehicles account for 67% of all transport emissions. 24% comes from heavy vehicles, with aviation, shipping and trains making up the rest. In fact, cars and heavy vehicles combined account for 13% of New Zealand's total domestic emissions. Given that such a huge percentage of our transport emissions can be reduced by having a zero-emission light vehicle fleet, you'll surely see why switching to an electric vehicle is so important and beneficial for New Zealand's climate emissions. So what is the most effective way to measure emissions? Well, gas has mass, which is something people don't really think about that much. Here's a little anecdote for context. If you were able to somehow enclose the Eiffel Tower in Paris within a huge cylinder, the air inside the cylinder would actually weigh more than the 7,300 ton tower itself. It should come as no surprise that indeed the preferred unit for CO2 emissions is grams per kilometre driven. According to the same study I mentioned earlier, the government aims to have an average light vehicle fleet emission level of 105 grams per kilometre. For comparison, the 2018 national average car emission level was 180 grams per kilometre. But this figure is kind of meaningless if you don't have context as to what the average car actually emits. So let's look at a few examples. One of the most popular cars here is the Mazda Demio, which, depending on the engine size, emits between 120 and 130 grams of CO2 per kilometre. Surprisingly, the 2009 model year Toyota Corolla, Nissan Tida and Suzuki Swift all emit around 125 grams per kilometre. These cars are all fairly clean in context, as a 2019 1-litre VW Polo still emits around 110 grams per kilometre, just 15 grams less than cars over a decade old. On the other end of the scale, one of the more popular performance cars here, the Mark V Volkswagen Golf GTI with a DSG transmission, emits 188 grams per kilometre, making it a rather heavy smoker. Weirdly, this figure goes up if your GTI has the six-speed manual transmission, which emits 190 grams per kilometre. The type of gearbox in your car actually has a bigger impact on emissions than you might think. Cars like the GTI and many others with dual-clutch transmissions are ever so slightly less polluting than the equivalent manual version. However, things are different for conventional automatics. I had a look at my car's emissions, just for a laugh, and found that my 5-speed manual BMW 325 emits a very poor 217 grams per kilometre. Okay, it's a 20-year-old 6-cylinder car after all but the 5-speed automatic version emits 230 grams per kilometre, a 6% increase. Now, this isn't a lot, but we're talking in single kilometre figures here, so it adds up pretty quick. Given that conventional automatic transmission cars of old are generally thirstier than their manual counterparts, due to the fact that the hydraulic system in the transmission robs around 3% of the engine's power, we can assume that this trend applies to most cars. 
Admittedly, I'm digressing a little here, but given that automatics make up the bulk of cars here, it could be said that New Zealand is a higher polluter compared to a country where manuals are more the norm, assuming they had the same number and same types of cars. So we've discussed New Zealand's emissions situation, and hopefully you have some context as to the need for electric cars, how much our current fleet of cars pollutes, and some intricacies into how various cars compare. Before we talk about EV emissions, we must first start at the beginning and look at the very emissions we're trying to reduce in the first place. As most of you out there know, an internal combustion engine, by its very namesake, produces power by combusting a highly flammable substance within a sealed cylinder inside the engine. An internal combustion engine is, in effect, a great big air pump, which sucks in air, burns it with fuel, and then pumps the remaining out of the exhaust. This is why an engine which can suck in more air and fuel with extra cylinders or a freer flowing, read noisier, exhaust, will produce more power. Same goes for cubic capacity. All other factors being equal, those with, say, a 5-litre engine can generally produce more power than those who have a 2-litre engine, simply because the 5-litre will flow more air and fuel per cycle of the engine. I wanted to mention this as I believe it's important to realise that internal combustion engines basically rely on producing emissions as part of how they run. Putting filters on the exhaust, as some people have suggested, or fitting petrol particulate filters, as the EU is now mandated, goes some way to cleaning the emissive footprint of the ICE. However, it comes at the cost of greatly reduced performance, as you've now introduced this great big restriction on a path that needs little resistance in order to run efficiently. It's far more productive to go down the path of zero tailpipe emissions. So what makes up the emissions from a petrol engine? Surprisingly, for a modern fuel-injected engine with a catalytic converter fitted, most of the tailpipe emissions comprise of carbon dioxide and water vapour, plus a few trace amounts of carbon monoxide, carbon deposits, unburned hydrocarbons, and a little bit of sulphur. Diesel engines are generally worse, as they produce the same tailpipe emissions as petrol engines, but they also produce nitrous oxide due to the insanely high temperatures within the combustion chamber. These can be combated with the fitment of an AdBlue diesel exhaust fluid system, which helps to reduce NOx in the exhaust. However, these systems are normally only fitted to modern trucks and buses. As Volkswagen demonstrated during their emissions scandal of 2016, it's actually very hard to produce decent performance from a diesel engine without sending dangerous NOx levels sky high. Now, as we all know, an electric motor produces no actual emissions during operation. EVs have no tailpipe and can quite easily be operated in confined, unventilated spaces with no problems. An electric current is fed from a battery to the motor, which then spins a small one-speed reduction gearbox, which drives the driven wheels. However, the power has to come from somewhere, and that somewhere is the electrical grid. I like to keep things on the show more New Zealand related, so we're going to assume that the vast majority, i.e. somewhere in the region of 80% of the electricity fueling EVs here, is zero emission renewables. However, it's important to note that 80% renewable is not 100% zero emissions. For that reason, the Ecotricity organisation have cited 98 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour generated as a reasonable figure for how much CO2 is emitted from all electricity generation here in New Zealand. They claim that they're able to supply you with purely carbon zero renewable electricity, which is tricky to get your head around given that all electricity from any power generation plant goes into the same pot, i.e. the same power lines and transmission network. 
So it's handy that they've provided an emissions figure for New Zealand's electricity generation. Anyway, with the 98 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour figure and an annual driving mileage of 14,000 kilometres per year, which, by the way, is the national average, an EV would emit around 250 kilograms of CO2 per year. This figure is obviously quite variable given that everyone charges their EVs at varying times and it's incredibly difficult to quantify exactly how much electricity is coming from zero emissions generation at any one time. From the fossil fuel perspective, if we take something like our Mazda Demio from earlier, which emits around 120 grams of CO2 per kilometre, we can expect this to emit a whopping 1,680 kilograms of CO2 per year, which is a 572% increase. If we use the national average of 180 grams per kilometre, this figure jumps to 2,520 kilograms of CO2 per year for the average New Zealand light vehicle, or a 908% increase compared to our EV running off the New Zealand power grid. This basically destroys any argument that claims that EVs are still bad for the environment because of the emissions of electricity generation, given that the average fossil-fueled car is a 908% worse polluter per year compared to any EV running off the national grid. As a bit of an aside, given that this show is about battery electric vehicles, or pure EVs, I'm going to briefly mention plug-in hybrids. These are a decent halfway house towards a pure EV, especially if you drive long distances regularly, or in the case of the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, need to tow regularly or go off-road. There's virtually no chance of running out of charge assuming you keep the petrol tank topped up, and this means no range anxiety. They usually offer around 30 to 50 kilometres of pure electric range, but they also feature a petrol engine which can be used to drive the car in conjunction with the electric motor, as well as provide charge to the battery. The main difference compared to a regular hybrid such as the classic Toyota Prius is that the battery and electric motors are much bigger and more powerful, giving the car more range and more power on electricity alone. The tailpipe emissions from plug-in hybrids are exceptionally low. The Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV is rated to emit just 44 grams of CO2 per kilometre. This results in a yearly emission level of just 616 kgs of CO2 per year, assuming our national average of 14,000 kilometres of driving. This brings us to the cradle-to-the-grave concept. This is the idea that cars don't just emit CO2 from the tailpipe. Internal combustion cars contain metal, plastic, rubber and glass, and the fuel they burn requires refining, transportation and distribution. Electric vehicles, of course, require lithium and cobalt for the batteries, as well as all the usual automotive ingredients such as aluminium and plastic for the interior and the dashboard, respectively. EVs still have some petroleum products in the drivetrain, however. The Ecotricity website claims that EVs have no gearboxes, but this isn't entirely true, as all EVs require a small reduction gearbox which contains a gear oil in order to increase torque from the electric motor. For example, a Tesla Model S has a 9.8 to 1 reduction gearbox, which means that for every turn of the driven wheels, the motor spins 9.8 times. For the cradle-to-the-grave theory, we need to define a total lifespan for both EVs and petrol cars. Most studies into this have settled on 20 years for a lifespan, which is a decent-sounding average given some cars are scrapped much earlier due to poor maintenance, structural rust or crashes, and others are kept going for much longer. Now let's look at our operational only emissions over this time period. 
Using the average emissions figure from earlier, the average ICE car emits around 64,800 kgs of CO2 over its 20-year lifespan. An EV utilising New Zealand's electricity network over its 20-year lifespan will emit around 5,000 kgs, or around 92% less compared to our average internal combustion car. In order to consider the lifetime emissions of any vehicle, we need to look at the emissions from raw material extraction, construction, operation and disposal. Now as much as I'd like to keep this New Zealand focused, we're going to have to resort to a detailed 2018 study done by the City of Vancouver in Canada entitled Life Cycle Analysis of Electric Vehicles. This study contains some great data, including not only life cycle emissions, but a tally of the amount of energy needed to build, run and dispose of both EVs and internal combustion cars. In this study, they analysed a Ford Focus and a Mitsubishi iMiev and found that despite the EV producing more emissions during the raw material production phase, the operational emissions were so much lower that the EV was far less polluting overall. Over its entire life cycle, the Ford Focus has an emissions figure of 392 grams of CO2 equivalent per kilometre, whereas the Mitsubishi EV emitted around half at 203 grams of CO2 equivalent per kilometre. In terms of actual energy consumption, again the EV used around half what the ICE car used in its lifetime, with the Focus using 4.2 megajoules per kilometre, with the IMEV using just 2 megajoules of energy per kilometre. If we then consider a lifetime as being 200,000 kilometres, which is a little bit longer, things get even better for the EV. Because operational emissions are such a large proportion of the ICE car's lifetime emissions, the longer you use them, the more polluting they are. In this case, the Ford Focus emitted 337 grams of CO2 equivalent per kilometre, whereas the EV was 64% less polluting at 122 grams of CO2 equivalent per kilometre. Similarly, the EV used 61% less energy overall compared to the Focus. I think this is very important information to consider, as so many people jump to the conclusion that EVs must be worse for the environment because they read one inaccurate article about pollution from lithium or cobalt mining. Whereas you have to consider the bigger picture and realise that internal combustion cars pollute so much more during their operational life that any extra pollution created by extracting raw materials for EVs is effectively irrelevant. Let's change tack a little now and look at lifespan. This is another aspect of EV ownership that many people get scared of. They argue that the battery will have totally lost its charge at 100,000 kilometres and that it'll fall apart, blah blah blah. Now, there's a tiny shred of truth to this argument. Yes, as long as you maintain an internal combustion engine, well, at least a well-made durable one, it's unlikely to lose any performance no matter how high the mileage is. But what about electric vehicles? The biggest issue with EV longevity is battery degradation. This is something that is quite variable depending on how the car is used and how the car is charged. Generally, cars that have been fast charged more often than slow charged at home tend to have less health in their batteries. In terms of mileage, I struggled to find a New Zealand example of a high mileage Nissan Leaf or similar. I guess we simply don't drive as much as people in other countries, especially the United States. So my examples will be from there. A 2013 Leaf in San Francisco apparently has nearly covered 321,000 kilometres on its original battery pack. It was actually used as a rideshare vehicle for most of its life, and amazingly its battery still has a range of 93 kilometres. 
If this vehicle was used by the average commuter here in New Zealand, they would still have more than enough range to complete their daily commute. As an aside, this car is also still running with its original brakes. You might wonder if it's possible to get better battery life with a more expensive EV. This might be true. A quick look at the Inside EVs website yields five examples of Tesla EVs, three Model Xs and two Model Ss, all with over 400,000 kilometres of total mileage. The highest mileage example as of August last year has nearly 676,000 kilometres on its odometer. And the battery degradation? Well, according to the car's owner, the battery still has 80% of its health remaining. Additionally, one owner of a Model X SUV had found that after a whopping 482,000 kilometres in two years, their battery had lost just 13% of its capacity, and then plateaued with very little loss recorded after that. Now, it's important to note that because EVs have so many fewer moving parts as an internal combustion car, there's much less to go wrong, making them far more reliable in the long run. The lack of harsh vibrations from a reciprocating engine also adds to the longevity of parts in an EV. However, all that aside, I hope that the insane mileages achieved by people overseas have given you a bit more peace of mind when considering the longevity of the battery pack in an EV. Hopefully those 100,000 kilometre mileage Nissan Leafs on Trade Me seem a little bit more attractive. Despite these impressive mileage numbers, batteries don't last forever. There will become a point for any EV whereby the battery will simply no longer hold a reasonable charge to get around. Because highway-capable mass-produced EVs have only really been around since 2011, there simply isn't any data out there for a long-term study on battery degradation, because EVs simply aren't old enough yet. An article in Bloomberg, however, predicted there to be around 3.4 million used battery packs entering retirement age by the year 2025. Thankfully, countries such as China are implementing battery retirement laws to make sure lithium-ion batteries from EVs stay well away from any landfill. So far, there are two main options to deal with geriatric EV batteries. One option is to utilise their somewhat reduced but still useful charge-holding capabilities as energy storage devices and static applications for homes and businesses. Having a solar panel or wind turbine in your backyard with a retired EV battery to store the energy generated is a great way to reduce your power bill. Another option is to have banks of EV batteries hoarding cheap rate electricity at night and then powering your home during the day, also reducing your bill. Just because it can no longer power a car doesn't mean it's fit for the recycling. However, batteries never last forever and at some point they will have to be disposed of. Thankfully, lithium-ion batteries are theoretically 97% recyclable. This figure is actually dependent on the method of recycling in the battery pack. However, in practice, companies overseas have managed to recycle 80% of the raw materials in dead EV batteries. The Finnish company Crystaltech has developed a process whereby using a low CO2 emission process called hydrometallurgical recycling, the mixture of elements such as lithium, cobalt and manganese can be split back into their individual components to be used in making new EV batteries. This process is crucial in ensuring that we will have enough materials to continue making batteries for the ever-increasing world fleet of electric vehicles. The fact that EV batteries can live a useful life after they have been used in electric cars, and when they do reach the end of their service life, over 80% of the raw materials can be recycled, vastly cuts down on the CO2 emissions in both the production and the decommissioning phases of lifetime EV emissions. Finally, I want to briefly touch on hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. 
These were once tipped as the successor to the petrol car in the mid-2000s. So how do these vehicles differ from battery electric vehicles? The biggest benefit to a fuel cell vehicle is that they can be refueled with hydrogen in the same amount of time as an internal combustion vehicle takes to fill up with petrol or diesel. However, there are some huge drawbacks to FCEVs. From a thermodynamic standpoint, it's far more efficient to simply take the electricity we use to generate hydrogen and put it in the battery of an electric vehicle, cutting out the middleman. A study conducted by the University of Queensland found that if the entire car fleet of Australia was made up of fuel cell vehicles, the generation of hydrogen to fuel them would require 63% or 157 terawatt hours of Australia's total electricity generation. Compare that to if the fleet were purely battery electric vehicles, and this figure drops to a measly 15% or 37 terawatt hours. On this information, I think we can deduce that whilst the tailpipe emissions of FCEVs are certainly better than their internal combustion counterparts, the immense energy consumption compared to battery EVs doesn't make them a reliable long-term solution to our world emissions problem. So what have we learned today? Because the operational emissions for an internal combustion car are astronomically higher than for an electric vehicle, the slightly higher emissions from making the batteries for an electric vehicle is cancelled out by the fact that EVs have next to zero tailpipe emissions if charged using a predominantly renewable power network. Also, given that a retired EV battery can be used in another life for off-grid power storage or off-peak storage, and that so far over 80% of the battery's raw materials can be recycled to make new batteries, the argument that EVs are more polluting because of the power generation or the disposal process simply isn't true. So that's the episode for this month. Once again, I hope you learned something and I hope you take in all the information and hopefully it wasn't too hard to digest. Next time we'll be having a look at everything battery related in the world of planes, trains and automobiles. We'll have a look at different types of transport starting to use electric propulsion such as planes and ships along with the idea of battery leasing. We'll have a look at battery technology of the future and some of the newest EVs on the market from manufacturers normally used to making fire-breathing internal combustion sports cars. But until then, thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time. Goodbye. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.